Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is musical director, vocal coach, teacher and yogi, Daniele Buati. We talk about the connective power of music, piano improvisation with beautifully played examples, plus why live performance is irreplaceable. sense that you can go through an entire musical and music can actually change how you feel. Music can viscerally kind of can alter the heart space in a very unique way that I found super important. That I think is really special that if you jump into a sound or a song halfway through or three quarters of the way through, you're not going to experience it as well as the person who's there experienced it for the whole way. Daniela Buati is a musical director. I should mention All of the pieces you hear throughout this show are completely improvised pieces from Daniele, as we're chatting. More of that wonder later. For now, I had to ask, what exactly is a musical director? Yes, it means so many things. (laughs) Sort of what it would look like on paper would be, you know, the rudimentary skills. A musical director is intended to be sort of highly diverse in many different fields. Different shows or different projects will mean something different. So if I was to work on, for example, the last musical that I did was Bring It On. First, foremost, I'm there right from the beginning auditioning the cast with the rest of the creative panel. So there's choreographer, director, and a few other people on the panel. So that'll be like right from the beginning. And then that'll take me in through casting the show, making sure that the show has a diverse set of performers in many ways, making sure that I've got different vocal types and to go into those that would be that would be soprano alto tenor bass that's the kind of vocal split very traditional way of looking at the vocal split so that would be my main goal to begin with and then once we get into rehearsals i teach all the repertoire to the cast so that's to say that when a musical gets sent down well you know obviously gets uh, created most most of the time in america i'll receive the materials the score there's tons of harmonies they're all written down and my objective is to make sure that the cast know what those harmonies are when to come in very basic stuff like that what to sing how to sing it when to sing it but also there's there's a greater goal there this is how i look at it anyway the group synergy i think that it's really important that it's not just music but it's music director so there is a high emphasis on how one shapes the sound and the music and most people might think of that as just I sort of see sound as like the last step in creation so basically the group cohesion is is a big one because when a group sings to 
together and they're singing from the heart and they're fully embodied as the group, they're going to sound different than a group that they don't really kind of see the clear goal that that's in mind. So so it's kind uh, of like, but- not to use a sports analogy, but kind of it does make sense in this moment that you're a team and the musical yep. is this big overarching thing that you're all involved in and you yep. want your team to be working together to make it as memorable and wonderful as possible. Precisely. The fact of the matter is, is that it's, a, look, a show like Bring It On, you're looking for quite a wide array of skill sets that are actually more than what you just look for in a standard musical because a show like Bring It On has cheerleading added to the mix. So you're looking for lots of different stunts and tricks and things like that. So it it can be quite hard to find performers with all of those skill sets. Not only that, though, that the sports analogy is quite true because you're also looking for team players. Quite honestly, you're working together as a team and emphasized even more with a show like that because they're doing stunts, they're lifting people, there's actual sport elements within the show. (laughs) And if anyone has their blinkers on, and, and this is what I refer to as sort of not listening. I think all performers need to listen and, and the listening does, doesn't happen just with the ears. It happens with the full body, with the heart, with all senses and in a non-judgmental way so that they always know how to respond at any point in time. So part of building that group cohesion is, in my mind, being able to transfer that to the cast so that when they go on stage, the stuff that you've taught, basically teaching music, the sort of basic way of doing it is in chairs. It's a very mundane kind of activity, though I don't like it to be. I like to sort of get up and move and, and make sure it comes from the whole body. But my objective would be to make sure that that heart is transferred over time into the show so that when they're sort of looking after other people and, and doing stunts and acting and saying lines and worrying about lights and all that sort of stuff, that the heart is still there. It's not forgotten about. Daniela has worked as a musical director. He's also an exceptional pianist. I asked how long he's been playing piano. Oh, a very good question. I, I reckon 15 years. Yeah, I started playing piano when I was 14. And that's that. That's just not very heard of in the realms of professional musicians or music directors. Usually they've been playing since they were like three or four. Funnily enough, I'm, I've am i been playing since I was 14, but I'm also self-taught. So Whoa! All, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the information that I've acquired has been through sourcing the information. It's been through... And this is kind of the weird period that, you know, show my age probably, but like... YouTube wasn't really quite there yet, you know. A lot of people nowadays, they can go on YouTube and watch a video that shows how to play something. This was me kind of scouring the internet for uh, pretty much how to read music, the fundamentals of music theory, and then applying that to a keyboard that I just purchased. So how did that happen? So you've gone through your <laughs> your basically your whole primary school life. Yes. You're not a you're not a child prodigy in no. the sense that you're playing piano from the the age of 4. At 14 years old, what happens that makes you go I'm going to buy a keyboard? <laughs> I do remember it very distinctly. It's funny because I've always been creatively inclined. I, I used to draw a whole lot, big drawer, and then uh, through primary school and the weird thing is with primary school, I have a distinct memory of like kind of just not really understanding music. I remember in the, in the classroom in, in the music class it just didn't it didn't make sense you know and that's 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 an interesting thing because like usually it takes a while for me to like fully grasp something but once I get it I get it but I moved into high school a couple years in and pretty much the first interaction I had with a keyboard was I think in my like year seven and eight music class you know they do those group keyboard lessons and I just remember being absolutely fascinated I could just you know I've got a keyboard in front of me right now I could just hit something and it would make sound. 
And I think for me, that was quite, that was quite amazing. That was just, that blew my mind and it really sparked my curiosity to the point that by the end of year eight, I, I enrolled in, I was very ambitious. I enrolled in two electives, two music electives, because that's when you sort of choose what you want to do. And they had squished them into my second semester. So I was like, okay, I got a semester to kind of work out what I'm doing. Because mind you, what we were doing in year seven and eight was very just like, you know, it's just... Very basic, very foundational stuff. But the, the teacher sort of, she sort of left me be. She, she, she would ask me questions, very leading questions of things that it really felt like to me that she thought I knew what I was doing, which is interesting because I felt really natural around the keyboard. So there was a real kind of affinity to it. The next year, my brother was very curious about learning the instrument. <laughs> He's a couple of years older than me and he, he loves 80s music and synths and stuff. And I kind of remember just sort of, I had just got a part-time job and I think I was just like, oh yeah, you should get a keyboard. And I was just encouraging him to get it with very much in mind that I was like, I want to use that keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, here's a bit of money. I think I had some birthday money or something. Here's a bit of money. And like, you should get a keyboard. And what I did until that point was go on musictheory.net, which is an amazing resource. I think it's called Tenuto now, but musictheory.net. And I've got some apps now. It's grown a lot. It's brilliant. And it's pretty much, it's a foundational music theory online course. It's easy. It's free. I sound like I'm a sponsor, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I will sponsor it. I think it's just so, such a good website. And I went on that and walked my way through through all the lessons and then I think by the end of it if you remember obviously still exists Microsoft Paint mm. this is me just getting my little designy drawy brain going as well I just drew up like a three octave keyboard and printed it out <laughs> on like two sheets of A4 paper and then <laughs> the little poor boy you know just like taped it all together and then I just sort of was like I just had some sheet music and then I just practice on that until I got the keyboard without any sound no sound no it kind of made sense to me because I was like I can hear what it sounds like in a way I was like I can imagine what's happening and also I'm choosing songs that I know what they sound like but also it made sense to me that a large aspect of learning music is learning how to read it at least in western culture we put so much emphasis on writing things down and reading and all that sort of stuff I was just like I'm gonna I'm gonna get better at identifying notes because that's a huge thing that people fall short at when such learning instrument particularly piano how to actually identify the notes and then correspondingly find them on the piano and then a couple of weeks later i got a keyboard or rather my brother got a keyboard and i think i kind of think i sort of hogged it a lot <laughs> I think I was using it. But you put some money for it. I put some money into it. Yeah, exactly. It was really (laughs) sneaky of me, but I was like, here's some money and then I'll just just play it like every night. And at the time, two big loves of mine, or three rather, Anime, Muse, the band, and Buffy, the TV show. So all of which, the particular anime I was watching, such a a odd child watching this like super adult anime, uh, (laughs) Neon Genesis, Evangelion, which is like super intense. Anyway, the music and anime shows, it is usually just fantastic. So I'd sort of just get sheet music for those three things. And Muse have a lot of piano within their music anyway. So one of the first songs I learned was a song called Bliss, which since learning that and since learning another song from Buffy, I realized that I chose quite difficult pieces, but they served as real great learning aids. Okay, so you make your own piano at home Mm. on pieces of paper, which is phenomenal. Mm. You then convince (laughs) your brother to buy a keyboard. Then you use the keyboard. You learn these complicated pieces of music, (laughs) and then you obviously continue to do piano through high school. Yes, that's that's pretty much it. I remember learning as much Buffy music as I could, and of course then the Buffy musical episode came out, so now I got hooked onto that. Meanwhile, all the while, you know, whilst this was happening, my drawing 
drawing was still there, but I kind of pulled away from that because the piano just kind of hooked me, you know, it just kind of went, this is, this is it, you know? And uh, my mum at the time, I think I remember her thinking it was a, a phase, you know, because obviously you can go through phases, but I was like, I was so sure about it. I was like, no, this is not a phase. This is like, yeah, this is love. <laughs> and then I pretty much took music all throughout high school. And funnily enough, I didn't do a lot of solo stuff because I was still singing choirs and not doing a lot of music, but the piano definitely helped. But I also didn't play a lot in bands because for whatever reason, well, I know why, but like people go, oh, I don't really see a keyboard in the band. They right. go, oh, that's a bit dorky. But I, I know I was like, oh, come on, man. I just want to. I want to play in a group. I was so like interested in playing as a group because there's something so fascinating and heartwarming when you just play and you connect with other musicians that the more I move through my career and the more older you get, the harder it is to find that sort of genuine new feeling. I pretty much took my music all through high school and uh, auditioned for my year 12 musical, which was definitely something I wouldn't do because drama petrified me, acting petrified me. But I, I got the lead in Aida. So that was cool. Cool. And then I pretty much from there, I got exposed to musical theatre. There was no musical theatre whatsoever. Before that, I was mostly just playing for singers. So I, I was actually able to work on the accompanist role, which is actually quite an important role in musical theatre and uh, auditions and concerts. Like as a pianist, you need to learn how to accompany someone, play for someone. And this is a skill set that a lot of pianists don't really work on because it's a very solo instrument at times, the piano. But something that came very natural to me at that point was I was always able to listen there was a real like inherent ability to just kind of react to what was happening at the time which as an accompanist is really important because you're listening you're connecting with the singer you're learning how to move and breathe with them and one other thing for me that came very natural at the time and I, I remember so distinctly like I would just randomly pick different sounds on the keyboard and improvisation just was just there like I just start making stuff up it just came to me so naturally so that was very cool it, I didn't really know about it as a concept or as a construct improvisation it wasn't it was to me it was just as you said making music it just it wasn't confined by anything so after becoming fascinated with the keyboard at the age of 14 Daniela continued to study it all through high school what happened after high school though I was sort of a hobby graphic designer as well. As I said to you, you know, drawing a lot, that kind of morphed into graphic design. I, you know, I got that classic knockback of like, oh, music's not a career. That classic art, you know, music, you, you can't, you're either going to be a concert pianist. And my music teacher said to me, you can't be that because you haven't been playing long enough. I was like, that's fair enough. That makes perfect sense. You know, I was like, I can get on board with that. Or you can be a teacher. And funnily enough, my relationship, my knowledge of what a teacher was kind of didn't attract me, didn't attract me at the time. So then I actually, this is so strange but I went to study public relations so I went to study bachelor communications at Monash and those that know me know that I'm very passionate about the subject of communication and what it means to communicate and something that I've learned over the past few years is that although it seems very irrelevant to who I am or, or my pathway it's actually pivotal to how I approach music because music is always about communication and expression so of course at the time it was very much a decision I made because you know music's not a career so a few years into that I I was doing terribly. I was just like, I wasn't connecting with the content. I was not doing well. I was still playing piano as a hobby. I was doing some amateur musical theater at the time, did a production of Beauty and Beast up the road. I moved from Monash to RMIT thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's the university that's not happening. Maybe I need to try something different. And of course, 
I was like, yeah, it's a bit better, but it's still not, it's not working. And pretty much all through this time, I had been exposed to a lot of amateur musical theater companies and they had asked me to play for their auditions and slowly but surely, you know, play for concerts and then musical direct their shows. So it was only through the amateur musical circuit that I actually discovered the role of the musical director for whatever reason in year 12, I didn't really, didn't really click. And to be honest, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm interested in that because I was like, I like being on stage. But of course, I've learned since then that I like to MD, but I like to be on stage at the same time. So I like to sort of be able to combine those at the same time. Years later, I, I did an amateur show and, and I was also working full time as a graphic designer at that point. So I managed to do that. That was wonderful. Again, autodidact, like self-taught as the graphic designer, those two skills, very much just, just sort of self-discovery. I, I pretty much pulled out of my study because I was arranging music. I was arranging vocal ensembles. I was doing stuff in my spare time that was not study. And it was just so clear to me albeit a very hard decision. There's a good friend of mine who's a musical director in Sydney who I met at the time. And I was like, I can see myself doing this. I can see myself making it a reality. So long story short, uh, I, I pulled out of the course. I still worked as a graphic designer. I pretty much completely changed my trajectory and focused all my attention on music. And it didn't take very long for teaching gigs to come about, cabaret work to come about, concerts, shows. And then about kind of three, four years later, there was that sort of niggling kind of desire to study to study music you know a mm-hmm. bit further I was just like the self-taught thing is a, is a weird chip on my shoulder because you're kind of like oh I feel like I need to know more that I don't currently know that doesn't disappear of course that's always there in everything that I do <laughs> so uh, at that point I went to study a bachelor of composition which is kind of a, a branch off the, the improvisation and, and, and passion for creation but then I met a wonderful piano teacher jazz performer John McCall and I was instantly like bound in I was just like, you're amazing. Uh, the fact, the thing is with being self-taught, finding a teacher that is right for you is, <laughs> I found very hard. But at that point, I transferred over to performance, graduated my graduating recital. I did a 40-minute composition. It was a nice sort of throwback to my beginning composing student. Yeah, many years later, I'm here, musical directing shows, cabarets. That's it. That's the here journey. Am, you know? Wow, yeah. Do you think that your mm. graphic design and your study in communications has informed your mm. musical journey? Definitely, yes. And now, of course, the larger question of like coming to terms with that the past 10 years for me has been a, a wild ride of different adventures and, and different experiences and, and highly diverse skill sets that I'm only just over the past year funnily enough coming to terms with this ability to be a diverse creatively minded person so the graphic design aspect has absolutely helped me I was working with a fantastic manager in my previous job working for a market research firm doing infographics and just working with him he really helped me blossom as a graphic designer and to this day I I run an event called Broadway Unplugged which is a concert that that runs every two months and once a year at the Royal Botanic Gardens and I do all the graphic design for that actually for that show we've done online concerts all of last year and just extend graphic design because graphic design just doesn't stop there you know it's like it's just this tree you know it's it's, it's about working with still image but then I'm working on film you know so I'm able to combine all of those skills to the point that I think it was only a few days ago where I was working on a little transition of mine, just a little logo thing. And I just, it just felt so natural. I was like, opened uh, Illustrator, opened Logic, opened Photoshop, InDesign, Final Cut. Like that was just, it all is very natural to me. It's a very much like part of a, a very kind of connected creative ecosystem. My memories of Monash are a weird one because I just remember reading dry, you know, very dry readings. 
super dry. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that the pull towards public relations has always been an interest in working with people and building relationships. Now, finding that or finding that kind of conclusion has been my pathway for the past like five years. Mm-hmm. Finding what exactly makes and fuels what I do and what like it is the people and it's the connection and it's it's the building those relationships that then when we go to perform on stage everything is just functioning in like very nice harmony totally no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't quite a straight line for Daniela to get to where he is now but everything he did in some way or another influenced or influences his work now something that seemed to travel with Daniela from the beginning of his musical journey was improvisation I've actually seen Daniela improvise, and it was something really quite special to witness. I asked Daniela to tell me a little bit more about the process of improvisation and how he goes about it. So that was the song with Tash, right? Yeah, yep. You know, already there's a, there's a challenge on that because we're over Zoom, and I'm improvising a song that yeah, I think on that night in particular, I couldn't really hear the, the sound coming back to me. Of course, the beauty of improvisation is that it can't sound wrong. There's no preconceived notion of how it should be. Therefore, the audio that's coming back to me, I'm like, well, that sounds right to me because it's completely new at that time. Ah, oh, I feel so much about improvisation. <laughs> in, a, in a fundamental way that whenever I come to the piano, and I approach it with that sort of fresh kind of attitude and I just play a few keys and let it take me on the journey it can actually be a very healing experience and I can come at it like I'll I'll, I'll, I'll improvise you know for a good 30-40 minutes just at the piano of which I have a lot of recordings on YouTube and SoundCloud just kind of just me sitting at the piano just making stuff up most of the time there's different levels of improvisation or different modes right there's the one that you watched, which is the kind of more content, it was more like, let's create a song with words, with story, yeah? Let's kind of pigeonhole it into this style, okay? So that's what, you know, after my study at AIM, the Australian Institute of Music, I was able to kind of, one of my biggest takeaways from that course, as well as doing my Broadway Unplugged concerts, is learning how to analyze music. Because I think that a large part of improvisation is knowing the kind of trademark facets of different genres. You know the, like, theory. You know, you know that, yeah. that this type of music will sound like this. Yes. This type of music will sound like this. Um, and so one thing that I, I will approach the piano with this attitude of like the piano is like the orchestra you know so i might go oh cellos and then i might go flutes with piccolo of course and then (laughs) might go like french horn and then of course a lot of the time i don't have enough hands you know what i mean so it's like that's when improvisation becomes composition Mm because i have time and i can write it down you know <laughs> so you're getting these mesh of different layers. So that's usually how I look at improvisation. I'm kind of I'm blending color, sound, emotion, mood, genre. Yeah. Um if you're feeling a certain kind of way in a day, will you yep. sometimes just sit down and and play it out kind of? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And of course, if I come to the piano going like, I am in such a crappy mood, I want to feel better. I, I know what to do to feel better. I need to make music. And then I go to the piano and like, I'm making music. You know, you come at it from like a, you've got it all set out for yourself. You know, you're like, I'm going to use the piano. There's a very interesting way that I explain the relationship of music and a piano. Very much like a sort of living, breathing entity, you know. And if I come at it with that attitude, no go, you know. I start playing. I still feel a bit lost for whatever reason. That 
that being said, if I approach the piano with, again, that openness, fresh attitude, then what comes out without judgment is really important. So, for example... And to me, these are like chords of kind of contemplation, yeah? And that's kind of just how I'm feeling at the moment. It's really nice. I yeah. imagine a, chat. Yeah. a person all in white in like a moody sort of dusk, early evening, wet street situation. Beautiful. <laughs> I love wet street situations. Yeah. Now, the thing is, you know, design and music is one for me. So I've always had this vision that I would own this like media company. I never really truly understand what it was going to be, but I was always interested in building experiences. And part of that is connected with understanding people's brand. So I was like, I'm interested in knowing how people work and what their essence is. And part of my interest in learning how to draw and how to design and boost those skills is like, I want to be able to communicate to the world who you are through all these mediums. Yeah. So music is color to me. You know, it's like, this is a bit kind of, yellow and green kind of mixed together and then this is a bit of red with a bit of orange for whatever reason and then a bit of pink and blue so <laughs> so again if, if you ask me to play a color or an emotion um can i have an emotion or some descriptive word <laughs> I, was, I looked out my window and there was a bee and it i was could. like bee <laughs> bee's fun bee's fun bee's like Yes, I was watching the bees <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, amazing. They get a bit of edge to it, you know? They're not yeah. just completely like, they're not the sound of a butterfly, which is a bit more. Uh... No, I mean, that's my, you know, imposed version of a butterfly. Here, Daniele is reminded of something that he loves to do in life. The funny thing is, is that like, I love seeking out pianos, by the way. There's something about finding a new piano in a room that I haven't been in. Obviously not in my house. That'd be weird. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> many rooms you know, in my house. Yeah, so many rooms and so many pianos. Where did they come from? Uh, and going like, I love like, I, I describe it. I think of it as like talking to them. You're like having a conversation. Just like. So you just work out what it has to say, you know, to you. And so I, I like to find new pianos because each of them play differently and they each play something a little different, which is weird because I'm not talking about me playing, you know, I'm not, it's not me, right? It's, it's, it's the combined experience of this different instrument, different space. And as you said, a completely new experience. The funny thing is, is that the amount of times I've been in a room and I've played for 30, 40 minutes and there's just no one around and I go... That was pretty good. <laughs> or I feel very good. I feel very connected. And I'm like, no one was around. That's weird. No one hears that. <laughs> I guess it's kind of a situation where it's like if the walls could talk, but you're making the piano yes, talk. Correct. It's clear from our chats that Daniela is extremely passionate about what he does. And he believes in the transformative and connective nature of music. 
It would be remiss of me not to ask him about some of the moments in his career thus far that validated what he does. I mean, the first instance that comes to mind is last year when we were at the Royal Botanic Gardens doing a concert. One of our performers comes up and sings and her daughter, she's probably like three or four years old, she just starts walking up on stage and, you know, the performer's just having a sing, you know, and she sees her daughter and it becomes this like beautiful, heartfelt experience where all of a sudden how you play, all the sort of those expectations of there's a whole level of expectations of what a musician must be and what they must do you know at that point it's like this doesn't matter anymore the second moment that comes to mind is quite some time ago is about four or five years ago and this is the graduating recital composition that i did the composition was generated from improvisation i spent three months working on it and i it was based around greek mythology and the planets and i improvised the content and through improvisation, I took what I wrote and what I recorded and sculpted it. And through sculpting it, I expanded it to not just be on the piano, but to be for a string quartet and for uh, very close friends of mine, a female vocal quartet, I guess. So doing that, we only got to do it once. <laughs> and part of my objective was to have everything stream into one moment. So I didn't want applause. I didn't want those moments. And of course, people say, oh, you know, right, right in the thing, you know, don't don't clap. And I was like, no, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I want it to feel like not clapping. I want you to feel like you're part of the experience. Because something that for me, performance has never been, I've never been interested in this sort of weird stage audience delineation. You know, I want you to feel like you're part of what I'm creating. And it got to the end of the 40 minutes. And I remember like holding like the last chord and I held it for exactly how long it needed to be held, you know? Again, really operating by feeling, you know? And I remember this little thought of mine at the time going like, oh, I hope they don't clap. I hope they don't <laughs> clap and ruin it. Like, I don't, it's still going, you know? But of course, you know, that's the battle of, of the performer. You've got like two voices going simultaneously, you know, the, 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 the heart connected, broad awareness kind of going, yeah, it's all good. Everything's fine right now. And then, yeah, exactly. Just going like, don't clap, don't clap. <laughs> don't ruin it don't ruin it which is a bit of piano etiquette performance etiquette sort of stuff but honestly i held the chord the chord died as music does it decays over time and uh, there was a pregnant pause and um i had a, a projection going at the time of planets going through the solar system it was really cool and i just had to sort of sneakily pause it because i didn't want to go to my mac desktop <laughs> just, i just remember that <laughs> just be like oh god that would be terrible and the chord you know stopped ringing out because of course the audience were in this pure bliss moment of listening they were listening they weren't reacting you know what i mean they were they were listening they were absorbing the music and so therefore the sound didn't end just when the sound ended right there was contemplation and thought and moments in time that there was the pause and then you know the hands came together and the feedback i got after that about being transported through time and that the performance felt like two minutes you know there's this real like it didn't feel like it ended when it ended to me that is the biggest compliment when someone says to me my music or my improvisation helps them become less aware of time you know that's really special it's been such a pleasure chatting to daniele buati i'll let him close out the episode one stand-up thing for me is an audience is learning to open their hearts in a live performance. They see someone who is who is able to be truthful and honest and bear their heart on their sleeve. And that's what makes a, a wonderful performer in my mind, a performer who is, who is able to be unashamedly themselves. And what I hope to do through performance and through any form of performance, whether it be piano bar, 
cocktail stuff, like hotels, like uh, open mics. I, I want to, through my journey of learning to be more authentic to who I am, I want to, I want to communicate that with people who are watching and experiencing it to let them know that it's okay to be fallible and human and make mistakes. And the more that we can come to terms with that, the more we can lead through the world with our heart. Thank you so much to Daniele Buwari for being on the show. If you'd like to know more about Daniele or his work, head to daniellebuwari.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-E-B-U-A-T-T-I.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.